welcome reanimated fans to this week's episode. I am H.A. Conrad, here as always with Stuart Tiffin, my intrepid and amazing co-host. Hello, Stuart. Good day, H.A. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, we took a week off for personal reasons, meaning Mother's Day. Some people you had thought. to celebrate. Some people had to celebrate, I guess. Um, but uh, back, back at you, and we're gonna be talking about the next couple of episodes of the Mayfair Witches. Before that, we've got a very minor amount of news, not too much uh, on that front. Uh, but do you want to dive in, Stuart? I feel like I used to read articles on IFL science a fair mm-hmm. amount in the mid 2000s, like uh, earlier on, but it's still out there, they're still producing news. And this is an article about scientists who once scanned the brains of three suspected zombies in Haiti. Mm. Yeah, so I guess in the 90s, and this was mainly people that their relatives thought were dead, uh, then would see them wandering around either months or years later. Um, And, you know, not just that, but checked out the graves of at least one of them and it was not a grave that uh was full of person but full of rocks um and then you know honestly this is just like you know my worst nightmare because i think what they determined was there was either some mental illness going on with these people and they had been maybe under the influence of other people keeping them captive um one specifically one specific person was like uh he was zombified by his uncle and kind of kept chained to a log which is just horrible and i guess the way that this all worked is that they were given a neurotoxin um to sort of and maybe it isn't clear whether the neurotoxin was given sort of consistently and continually to keep them sort of under the influence that wasn't really made clear um but the idea of anybody using a neurotoxin and then you know you sort of being chained to a log sounds like the most horrific thing I could think of. It <laughs> so, doesn't sound good. No. Um, no. I mean, yeah, like some of them, there were they did like DNA testing and determined quite easily that these were not the same people who had been buried. Yeah. It's uh, a case of mistaken identity. That's a pretty major one. Although every so often I run into someone who looks a lot like my dad and I'm like, what are you doing here? And mm. then it's not him. The so I could see if I was in grief or something, you know, and I was like, that's him. And the person who I was uh, pointing out happened to be mentally ill and maybe very highly suggestible. You can see yeah. how it could happen. Well, and, you know, especially when people are grieving, they see things, you know, I could imagine if you saw somebody similar that that would be jarring and you could really believe that, especially if you're in a culture where they have that belief. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think they could see. That being a pretty disturbing phenomenon. Um, I don't know. Do you have any doppelgangers out there, Stuart? I know that I probably do, or I have a kind of a face that people think they know. But Every so often people tell me that they think I look like X or Y. Um, when I was a teen, a gawky teenager, people thought I looked like Ralph Macchio. That <laughs> re- that resemblance has definitely never gotten stronger and only gotten we- uh, like less <laughs> less real as I, as we've both aged in different directions, Ralph and I. So you're not dealing with any kind of, you know, fandom or no. identity after this Cobra Kai thing, huh? <laughs> no. Should be should be safe from from that. Yeah. Uh yeah. <laughs> 
But, but in any case, that's pretty much all the news we have today. Not too much going on in terms of projects or updates, um, but that's all right. Um, we leaves us a little bit of time to talk about the next couple episodes of, of Mayfair Witches. And um, it's the the two episodes are, this is episodes five and six of the series, and we've got The Thrall and Transference. Um, so, you Both know. Both directed by Haifa Al-Mansur mm-hmm. with a couple of different writers. Yep, and then this is, you know, the the which I think we we kind of figured this was going to be the case, but um Cyprian and and Rowan are, are pretty much trapped in in the house. And so it's it's one of those kinds of episodes where people are in this sort of continuing loop. Um and yeah, I think we that knew they were we knew they were going to be trapped because the doors right. closed in their faces they were trying to get out of the house last episode. Right. But when we meet them again, it's like there's a disconnect and we are trying to like scratch our heads and figure out what exactly is going on. I mean, it's it's not like it takes long to figure out, but right. uh it is like an interesting way to continue the episode with like a hard cut from the action that was happening when we last saw them into like a new sort of reality or uh, unreality but we also yeah. have another cold open in scotland yes uh, here where we are um maybe it's throughout this episode that we're introduced to the arrival of the witch dude or um yeah the witch hunter the witch hunter it, but the first thing that's going to happen here is that poor suzanne successfully delivers a baby boy who happens to have fingers that are a little more webby than uh, than usual and is accused of poisoning the mother by this like gruff unpleasant scottish dude is he the same guy that she met in the field in that other episode i think so yes i think he. Kinda, was, i don't know they all look they all look kind of dirty and pilgrimy to me <laughs> yeah um yeah so, um i don't know so anyway that it you know maybe he is he's got an axe to grind on that level and um it, but you know you can kind of you can clearly see what the trend of this thing is going to be uh there's that sort of fervor about witches and magic and things like that and she sees it coming you can tell but what are you supposed i don't know to that she does see it coming she's a little nervous about it i mean she yeah. gets the, the negativity thrown her way she definitely. definitely is picking up on the negative vibes because yeah it's the next morning when they're going to check check on the mother they can't find her but they do see that the witch finder is in the square and he's got maybe a dead lady in a cage and he's talking about how she was fornicating with satan and uh suzanne takes her sister and like walks away uh, while uh, skeezy dad is like staring daggers at them. It's clearly a, a terrible situation. I don't know if it's like a reality that Suzanne could just take her show on the road at this exact time. Cause it feels like, I don't know, things are going to go badly for her. It seems very obvious, right? Yeah. I mean, to everybody else from the outside watching. Um, yeah, I guess. So, uh, you know, it, but that's that's you know if you're off screaming in the woods, I guess somebody's going to find out eventually. We did say that their screaming, their woods screaming, was a little loud, and the witch hunter in this episode is like, "So I followed some screaming in the woods." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I came upon this yeah. lady. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, so bad scene in Scotland doesn't feel like it's where you know we're we're coming up to an introduction to Lasher, which happens in episode six with Suzanne, but. Um, 
in this one in New Orleans, Rowan and Cyprian just keep waking up and doing pillow talk over and over again. Um, which doesn't feel super. I mean, it's like they're getting to know each other in a, in the weirdest way possible. Plus, he's also seen her entire history every time they touch and have sex. So, yeah, awkward. And um, awkward, <laughs> and also he is keeps making her these weird breakfasts. And it's that, egg sardou. He loves to make egg sardou. Does, it's his favorite does. thing. Uh, but then you know you kind of gradually see the the world falling apart. I guess Lasher's magic is not sort of forever sustaining, and you could only sort of glamour things up for a little while so like is he trying to just keep this loop going until cyprian dies yeah i'm sure that's that seems to be what cyprian thinks is happening and by the third time he's going up the stairs he can barely make it uh and the right and i mean look cyprian represents this outside person that that influences rowan and probably um one of the only people that actually knows at least a little bit or believes what's going on and has some idea of the history of the Mayfairs and Lasher. So And we also learned that there's history between Talamasca and Lasher and the Mayfairs in this sort of scenario. Because right. he has a vision of uh, a former Tal- I think the guy's name is Stuart. Too. Yeah, Stuart. It Townsend. is we it, weirdly his name is Stuart Townsend and I think that was actually his name in the book. Um but also by happenstance, Stuart Townsend is also an actor that portrayed Lestat in one of the uh, vampire film adaptations, I think. Oh. So I thought that I was like, is this a coincidence? I don't know. So <laughs> who knows what, which Stuart came first? But I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, but uh, I found this out by doing sort of a trying to remember because I vaguely remember that there was like in the books a Talamasca agent that did i think appear to somebody like this um or that they were looking for new had disappeared in the house so um but he gives cyprian a warning and uh then kind of disappears and then something else kind of weird happens um all kinds of weird things are happening in this part of of the um so in addition to stewart uh you know in cyprian's interaction Rowan sees Millie, who honestly I did not see this coming. Um, I didn't realize. Oh, the, the rare H. A. Conrad not seeing something coming. I mean, I'm, well, I'm glad because I was also like, oh, okay, that it, it it just makes sense that she's a ghost, right? Yeah, I guess. But he's only it, been you've only seen her interacting with Carlotta. It's the whole sixth sense, uh, like right. thing. You yeah, know, you're like oh, of course, you know. And honestly, look, even in the book, she was kind of this minor sort of character that didn't really do all that much. So mm-hmm. I didn't really pay that. I'll admit I didn't pay that much attention to her. So, you know, it turns out she's a ghost and she's very um, distraught and upset uh, about what happened to Carlotta. I like uh, this, too, because it kind of lends itself to the fact that the Mayfairs are all kind of magical and, and different Mm-hmm. You know, we learn a little bit more about that, too, because Tessa talks about what her power is and Jojo talks about what her power is in the next episode. But in apparently Carlotta or Millie's power, one of them or the other is that one of them could be a, a ghost and the other one can hang out with them. <laughs> like, maybe it doesn't go beyond that. Yeah. Um, the, the, the gradual unraveling of the glamour also, I thought, well, it's not even that gradual because, yeah, well, Cyprian's getting worse. And f- mm-hmm. suddenly Rowan like wakes up and goes into doctor mode and is like, oh, no, this isn't right. We've been here for days. I don't even know how we got in this bed. Cyprian's like, where the hell am I? <laughs> and yeah. I, I appreciated the fact that they wrote in that Rowan would have like a logical sort of response and a, yeah. a series of logical responses like get dressed. We're going to the hospital. We can't get yeah. out. Uh, oh, crap. I will try to operate on you. 
Um, right. And um, it, it like kind of all goes along in a in a pattern. Um, and we get to see that that Lasher like tries to make her go back to bed and forget about everything again, but forgets to wear gloves. So he's not perfect. That's great. Uh, but he's there, you know, like Lasher's clearly not a good guy. No. And what I what I kind of appreciate about this episode is when he starts to interact with Rowan more, the way he like zips in and out of conversations, he's also super childish. Like if he, if he doesn't like an answer, he just gives her like a a look and then disappears. Yep. Um, and he definitely he acts as if he's or and not just him, but some of the Mayfair witches act as if he's like this not necessarily benevolent power, but a power that is useful and good and to some extent good. They kind of be like, oh, nobody understands it, but I think it's pretty clear he's not like a benevolent power. I think it's pretty clear he's childish and and malicious and does things to meet his own needs or desires or whatever it might be. Um, And, you know, maybe if the witch that's in charge of him kind of goes along with it, maybe that'll be okay. But he definitely is not a good force, um, especially given the things he's doing to Cyprian. And ultimately, because Rowan says, oh, you know, like, I'll like release Cyprian and I'll like stay in the house and whatever. And he just kind of throws him through some walls to his apartment or whatever. Um, But, you know, the fact that he would, he was totally hoping, I think, or his desire was that Cyprian would die and he would get full access to Rowan. And like, I don't know how you view that as anything other than negative. So it's an interesting thing. Um, but she is held. I mean, the, the episode is called The Thrall for a reason because she is in the power and it is like kind of an insidious invasion, right? Um, it's, it's, it's totally insidious. And uh, I like and I'm saying this like I don't like this, but I mean, honestly, I think that it's good writing. He keeps saying like everything here that's happening is happening because you want it to happen this way. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't believe that Rowan wants Cyprian to be slowly dying of a stab wound. Um, And I don't really believe that she doesn't want to leave that house. So. Right. And I think it's that it's that manipulation, um, which I think is true. And maybe this is the manipulation that's been happening all along is to basically pretend as if the person that's like linked to him has power, but clearly they don't or they don't have that much power. I mean, they have power in the sense that he can't exist without them, I would suppose. Um, but it, it's not, he is definitely in this case, he's the one driving the, the car, uh, so to speak. Um, and you know, Carlotta in this, this is sort of like her whole thing and why she tried to like burn down the, the room. I don't know that, like, I think that her her ways are definitely extreme and she's not she is also like an incredibly flawed and horrible human. But I could also see and you can see like just in how he is acting, how Lasher is acting throughout this, um, why she would go to those extremes. Like you get those motivations, like why she thinks he is such a danger. Yeah. Um, And, you know, like she's being held at this point, like, you know, like sort of what like up in the air or something. And Lasher keeps saying, no, you're doing that and whatever. And maybe maybe it is true that she has Rowan has some power she's unaware of and that she's sort of, you know, subconsciously sort of keeping Carlotta at bay in this case. Um, But 
it does feel like there's a lot of manipulation going on and that he is definitely not revealing the full picture for her. Yeah, it's and it's it's another situation where she's like, I'm not going to I'm not a killer. I'm not going to kill anybody. Right. Cut to her killing somebody right. uh, just because that person says something nasty to her, really. Yep. Uh, it, it's I mean, well, we've been it's down not this just road. something nasty, but I think that it's an acknowledgement of all the tragic uh the sort of tragedy of her mother's life, of her life, all the things that Carlotta has basically done. Um, And basically Carlotta is telling her, oh, well, you need to kill yourself now. I don't know that anybody would really react to that well. So not that this would be... It was the, I should have killed you when you were a baby, I think is the the line that throws her over the edge. her over the edge, but like still, it's not exactly... Like this woman's been locked in a house for days. There's a body in the basement. Her aunt's a ghost, or the other aunt's ghost. Cyprian's been thrown through the wall. I mean, I, I can't say that she's like in a very even state of mind at this point. Why do you yeah. feel like she uh, wanted Cyprian to go to his house instead of to a hospital? I felt like that was a weird thing, even though it's the right thing because apparently only Talamasca can save him and not modern science. Uh, why well, wouldn't she I mean- send him to a hospital? I don't know. Maybe she didn't know where a hospital was. Maybe it's limited to what she knows. And maybe that just seemed like a safe place to her. Mm. Um, I, again, I don't think she's in her right mind at the moment. So, you know, uh, I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting thing, given that she's a doctor. I also thought that and thought maybe it was her familiarity with New Orleans, but I don't know. Um, but this you know, is this the episode also and I just rewatched it, but I'm not, I'm blending these two together where the Talamasca do come yes. and, and yes. perform so the ritual the, on him. That's the other thing. Like they, they do that. And like, you know, the first person that finds him in his apartment is his sister, um, Odette. Um, and, you know, um, it, there's this weird thing because like, she kind of reveals sort of the Talamasca, which she takes in, really good grace but then he's like hide and she doesn't really hide very well in the apartment um he makes some kind of like comment that things will be really bad for her and for him if she's found but it's not like she's like super hidden she's just kind of peeking out from the other room yeah and you- but telemasca doesn't show up with like agents they just it's like his I boss know, and still. a doctor but yeah i but thought that was a cool a cool ritual scene yes that um, was pretty cool and i really liked um the doctor lady yeah, I thought she was pretty cool. And that whole scene was pretty cool um, where they're like saving him because it's a psychic wound or something because Lasher, it's like a magical wound because Lasher caused it. Um, and just the way it's pretty brutal, the way that she has to, the healer mm-hmm. has to take take basically the negative magic and, and help get it out of Cyprian, which takes like the form of the knife that we had seen earlier. Um, so I thought that was actually a pretty cool visual and a cool little ritual. Yeah, uh, and shows I like you that she she started speaking like Hindi or something halfway through also, which was really nice. Yeah, neat. Um, um, yeah, yeah. So Odette's just kind of in a closet watching this all, and there's going to be a lot to talk about later, but not right away. Yep. Um, and then um, that's kind I... of all of the activities that happened, uh, other than she goes to the basement. He's like, "You can't kill me with lettuce," which I thought was a good line. Yep. Uh, she and then after she kills Carlotta, she's able to walk out of the house, no problem. And then the camera goes upside down, which is a little on the nose. But yeah, she's free. But she, now she's upside down. Right. Now the world is all topsy turvy. Yep. And I mean, 
you know, I think a lot went into what happened before she killed Carlotta, but basically not only had Carlotta been the reason why her mother had lived such a tragic life that she didn't know any of these people existed, um, but also that Carlotta had killed Antha, who was her grandmother. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, there's a lot going on before she pushes her again, not justified, not really it's still a murder and it's a murder that she's done with her own hands rather than accidentally with her power. So I was Rowan. Well, I mean, it is with her powers though. She gives her the old brain bleed. I mean, deliberately without doing it accidentally, like this was intentional, not in the way, I mean, she did this with the other doctor and whatever, but didn't fully grasp that her powers. Now she does. And she knows that she can kill Carlotta and that's what she did. Um, so, you know, I think it's that is going to be a shift and probably something that will change how she's she's capable of it. And now she knows she's capable of it, but also fully conscious of it. So I yeah. guess she was with the doctor, too. But this is a relative. This was done in a moment like where I don't know all along she had been saying that. Not not that she felt she was better than that, but almost like she was like, oh, I don't I'm not going to take out my vengeance on this person. She's like a sick old woman and that she's just like crazy. But, you know, her passion's got the most of her, I guess. Again. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to have to stop hearing from uh, Rowan that she doesn't want to be. She doesn't want to kill. She's not a killer. <laughs> she is. Three, three times is a trend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, that kind of takes us to the end of the thrall. And then we go into transference, mm-hmm. which starts with another Scottish cold open yep. where the witch, the King's witch finder, Kel surprise, uh, arrives at Suzanne's house to arrest her. Mm. And, uh, she says, I've done nothing wrong, but you know what? She's going to get dragged away anyway. Um, and um, in the modern times, for once, we don't go straight to the Mayfairs. We go to Keith, who is the mor- the morgue worker and uh, anti-witchcraft bro who we met earlier. And he is watching some sort of Fox News and um, drinking and eating in bed and looking at a heart in a jar in his refrigerator, of course. It's yeah, and they're really like driving the incel kind of narrative here um i don't know what do you think about this storyline it feels a little forced to me but you know i unfortunately against the backdrop of what's happening to big chunks of uh, oppressed people in this country right now it feels all too realistic it feels if anything too provincial and does not have the backing of like a major uh, political party (laughs) Well, actually, I was kind of thinking that that's what was a little bit what was missing. I thought that that's where they were going with this. Yeah, Um, and certainly this Arlo Whittle guy who, God, what is he was he played by? I love this guy. He always plays baddies. kind of guy, yes. He does a really good job at it. He is, uh, he's going to be fun to watch, I think, unless they kill him off in the next episode. Mm. Um, Oh, and that's, this is a character, a a recurring character. Oh, no, maybe not. So it's played by Chris Coy. I first came to meet this character in Banshee and then he was in uh, Peripheral and other shows that have been around. He he does tend to play a morally uh, 
I don't know, unenviable <laughs> dude, even though he, I don't like, think he has a, he doesn't have like a ill aspect. No. Um, it's just kind of what he does. Um, yeah. But you know, he's, he's pretty, I don't know that there's this, like, I don't the way they have him in the suit, the way his hair is like, he's got a pretty good sort of like, I don't want to say cult leader, but it is a little that right. He's that kind of like, yeah, part, he, he feels like a, a regional elected official or something, or he could or be a, a senator little, or a little tele evangelisty kind of vibe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but he's got that going on and he plays it really well. Um, so, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I think, I think that he's a really good baddie as yeah. far as that's concerned. No, he's, um, he's going to keep growing into this role for um, sure. I wonder, he kind of looks familiar in a way that makes me think he might be, he might've been in walking dead. He was, he was, was he a terminus um, guy. Was he the one who was talking sure. a bunch of trash to Ty, uh, to Tyrese? I think so. I think he was, uh, Martin. Martin. That's the name. Is that, um, interesting? but yeah, so he plays like the bad guy pretty well. Um, and then the more guy is really creepy more guy like he does a really good job at playing this like person that wants to be like he wants to be part of this thing he wants affirmation and he mm -hmm. gets spades and he just honestly like the the this guy does a really great job and what what is that actor's name he was really i thought he was great oh you're um, right yeah he he did do well i don't know his name i feel like i've seen him before too Keith Murphys is the name of the character played by Ian Hawk, who's Ian. from New Orleans. Ian Hawk, or Hotch, yeah, H O C H. Hmm. And he has been in a lot of things that I have not seen. He's got a really good face, just in terms of that kind of. Um, he's good, like a good character actor. Um, and you know, I like that they have like sort of a local New Orleans person in there. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of fun, but he plays this really well. Like, he is pathetic and creepy and just really wanting approval from this group. Um, and honestly, like, when when he's sort of in there and sort of approaches, um, the the uh, what is the name of the guy? Sorry, Arlo. Arlo, um, who's this this sort of like leader of this group? That's that's. I, I liked how that interaction worked out because at first right? he's like, "Hey, nice speech," and the guy, and Arlo's like, um, "Thanks, brother." Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know you. Let you you give me creepy vibes. Like, yeah, like even Arlo was creeped out by Keith at first. Yeah, and he was almost like sidling away a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah. and then it turns out he has you know weirdly has the heart of Deirdre Mayfair, and suddenly he's like the hero. Um. Yeah, and at least at least the the woman, the one woman in that scene was like clutching her pearls, like, oh my god, he's got a heart in a jar. But everybody else is like, everybody else is so excited about it. Yeah, it could have gone, it could have gone another way, but it didn't. And so there you go. Um, it was, yeah, it was a little bit. Um, um, it was kind of interesting the dynamics of that. And then there was like a Talamasca spy in there, right? Well, that was uh, Cyprian's boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just kind of wandering through, although he was participating because he had to play the game, right? Um, so that was 
that was kind of interesting in general. Um, and also going on, uh, we also have Tessa Mayfair interacting with Rowan simultaneously and kind of tying into this, Tessa is telling Rowan about what's happening, um, that this group is out there and dangerous and... So look, for, look, can we first talk about the scene between Rowan and Cyprian when they she oh, yeah. wakes up and, and Lasher's in the apartment and she's like, get out of here. So he disappears. Then he turns on the ceiling fan and she yep. starts to attack some leftovers. Yeah, like that was <laughs> something was going on with her. She's just like, I got to eat this whatever meal this is. In this box. I mean, this is also, again, more of his glamour because she wasn't actually doing that. And he has her playing with flame and she wasn't actually doing that because she wakes up and she's just standing in the kitchen. And so he's messing with her still. I don't know. Uh -huh. I felt like she really did have flame in her hand because when Cyprian wakes up, he's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Unless she was just standing there with her hand up and no fire in it. But maybe but but, I mean, he is he is. Yeah, he's definitely got his hooks in her. Um, the scene here where um, Cyprian's like, how is he getting in here? We've got all these protections on this place. And then he realizes quickly that it's the necklace and tries to take it for uh, to, to the Telemasca. And she flips out, mm -hmm. screaming at him, completely lost her composure. And then kind of 180s and is like, I'm sorry, I lied. He is here. I, he's in my head. I can't get rid of him. Like she's having her more rational, but also very emotional reaction of like, I'm terrified. I don't I have no control. Um. And so, but she does give him the necklace at that point. He's like, all right, I'm going to go. You be safe. He, once again. <laughs> once again. Which, you know, I would say the stuff that she does in this episode is in the pursuit of her being safe, right? She's trying True. to, She's she makes this decision to get rid of him and goes to get help. But uh, it's the next scene that she's in where Tessa shows up. And she's so composed and she's like, listen, Tessa, let me give you a little bit of advice. I don't know. It was like such a weird juxtaposition with how she was acting yeah. just a scene before. What? How did you feel about the, those two scenes? I mean, I feel like she is sort of struggling with the control, whether it's her or whether it's Lasher. So I think that it's definitely a struggle that she's happening that is happening within her head. Um, and then she's seeking help from the people that actually know what is happening. So including, you know, Tessa and Tessa's like all upset about the Deirdre Mayfair heart. And then that this group of people is out there and this is, you know, she's getting more and more confirmation from different people, including Tessa and then Cortland, that Lasher is a power that, and Jojo actually later on, that Lasher is a power that could be helpful to her or that she could use or that they don't, they all view this as that she's lucky that she's the one who has this. She's like their Spider-Man, I feel like. They want her to, to like fix problems. Not yeah. maybe that Spider-Man is the wrong one, but she's basically a minor league superhero to them. And right. they're hoping that she'll help them with, in the case of the hospital thing, maybe they don't need Lasher's powers for that. They just want her to stick around and give her a reason to to hang out. Um, but Tessa's clearly going to her to intervene and like do some do some superhero stuff to the to the extent that Rowan is like, I'm not a vigilante. I don't. You should call the police or have the rest of the family do something about it. Right. Um, and so I don't know. She's kind of just looking for her own solutions here and which is why she visits Cortland 
and then figures out through her weird little powers that he has ALS. So he is doesn't it's unclear what he fully wants from her, but he definitely is still looking to influence her, makes her promise to go and do this weird tour of the hospital with Jojo. They're trying to get her to stay in New Orleans because Jojo's like, oh, we need a new, you know, head of neurosurgery or something like that. Like buy a happenstance. Right. Yeah. All throughout all this, Latcher keeps popping up and kind of haunting her. Um, so she's not exactly in the best, most zen state of mind, you know? At least she can just talk to Jojo about it. She's like, oh, the spirit keeps showing up and it's not leaving me alone. And Jojo doesn't th- say, oh, you're crazy. She's like, oh, right. man, half the family would kill to have him following them around. She's like, I don't mean that literally, but maybe. Uh, so then she has a vision. So Tessa's like, I can glamour people. And Jojo has premonitions or I don't know. She gets messages, it feels like. Um, yeah. And it's she's like, exactly. we, we have to go to the first street house. And so they go back in there, which if I was Rowan, I would not be in a huge hurry to go back in that house. Yeah. But apparently they have to. Yeah. Um. Because Dolly Jean has come and she has Julian's diary and she's already they've had a scene with Dolly Jean and Cortland talking about why would we do this? You know, what's what's in it? How does this help the family to let Rowan get out of her designee responsibilities? And there's still stuff here that we don't know, like how Cortland, we think, knows more about this prophecy that is mentioned at the end of this episode. He he knows things that he's not letting on. Probably probably so does Dolly Jean. Um, the 13th Witch is significant. I think we both understand that from having read the books, although I have forgotten all of the significance of it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot at play here, but they they are willing to help Rowan get rid of the of Lasher as long as it goes to someone else in the family. And so that's what they right. kind of and offer I mean, up. Look, I also think that part of it is that they want to have that power within the family and maybe somebody who's a little bit more pliable and willing to play with them yeah. um, or help them, which Rowan doesn't seem to be. Like um, Corlin says a- raised outside the nest, maybe it's too much to ask of her, which I feel like is a really reasonable, Fair. empathetic sort of thing to say. Um, also just a quick uh, total non sequitur, but um, also wanted to point out that the woman that is so horrified with the, uh, the Deirdre heart. Is reveal, she Diana or Diane? Is. From oh my Diane gosh. from Walking Dead. And I was like, that looks like a Walking Dead person. So it's just kind of funny that both her and Diane and Martin appear in a scene together. So it's just like, that's interesting. Um, anyway, back to, to Cortland. But yeah, I think that there's an idea that, you know, she's, Rowan's been, this is a pretty big crash course into what's the whole family is, something that they have all been steeped in for all their lives. So it is probably unreasonable to expect her to be like especially somebody who's a scientist even though she is certainly now aware that there are things out there that she can't explain you know it's still a lot to take in it's a lot to to process and so um i think that they view this as a some of them i think view her as being kind of ungrateful that is the sense um but also Maybe if it works to their advantage, they're willing to help her. I think that they would rather do that than, you know, be estranged from her and the power that I guess Lasher provides their family. Yeah. Uh, You know, by the time this thing ends, she's basically out of the family, it feels like. Yeah. Um, They seem all right with that. Um, Yeah. Because the only reason they were all into her 
was because she was the designee. She's they right. don't know her. She's a stranger. No. Right. Um. Yeah. yeah. Then the, the way Dolly, the Dolly Jean kind of twists the knife after the, the ceremony is complete and, you know, she spits up the necklace, uh, which kind of screws over Cyprian because he's back at the Talamasca trying to use the necklace to see what's going on in Scotland. And we do keep going back to those cutscenes. Uh, and Dolly Jean comes up to her after she spit out the necklace and it's gone to Tessa now and is like, do you feel good? Do you, can you still see? And she's like, yep, my my doctoring skills have always been mine. I ha- I am the master of my domain. And Dolly Jean's like, so why do you look so sad? Which is such a dick thing to say. Like, sure, maybe she is sad, but you don't have to tell her that. God. Right. Um, but I also think that there's some debate. Did Lasher actually pick Tessa? Um, I mean, we didn't see anything to suggest that. Lasher has not appeared. Usually- Usually, since the, since the ceremony, right? He has right. not appeared like, again. He only appeared to say something kind of like, hey, why are you doing this, Rowan? You, you, you really want to get rid of me, huh? Right. And it, so it makes me wonder what the last ceremony was, because basically Cortland mentioned that Catherine had transferred her powers to Julian. So, I mean, it's happened before. So maybe maybe it's a thing, but it doesn't seem like... It seems like every time he's been sort of present or done something, we would have seen him. And so I think that's pretty significant. And also he doesn't appear to Tessa at all, as far as we know. As far as we know. Um, and these scenes so, are so interspersed with what's going on in Scotland and the original summoning of right. Lasher. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see Suzanne summoning him at a moment of like pure desperation when her sister's getting dragged away by the skeezy, uh, skeezy husband. Yep. And... And she is in the cage and being carted to the river. And she's like, screw it. I'm just going to start saying the evil words. Her sister tells her to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but like something starts happening almost immediately. Like wind starts blowing, fires start catching. Like it's a real uh, instant gratification sort of scenario for for Suzanne. Right. Whereas for I will Tessa, also, I will also so. point out that, you know, Suzanne says she's not a witch. Well. This is pretty much evidence that she is. Which um, at that point, like, why would, you know, saying yeah. I'm not a witch has gotten her nowhere, right? Okay. <laughs> In fact, it's um, only made things worse. Uh, Yeah. And so she, but the interesting thing about this is that Cyprian has been witnessing all of this, except when Lasher finally appears, yeah. he basically knocks Cyprian out within this vision and he's trapped. So, yeah. um, and then maybe that's when the necklace gets sort of transported to, to Rowan. But, um, you know, uh, it is interesting because this is, especially with his manifestation in this case and Suzanne's powerlessness before this, you can absolutely understand why she would be on board with this because she was about to be drowned. Her sister, who knows what her fate is at this point, but that is really what tipped it all off. And honestly, um, you could see why Suzanne would be totally fine with this whole town burning down, right? Um, yeah, I'm kind of curious, like, what is the future for her? A lot mm-hmm. of witnesses. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> she's not. She's going to be kind of famous after this. You would think. Maybe she gets on a boat to America right away. I don't know. Yeah, something's going to happen to so she can get away. But um, so we'll see. I guess maybe in the next episode. Um, but, but so in in New Orleans, Tessa gets the necklace put around her neck. People are cheering. They're like, "Oh, they ch- he chose you." No evidence to confirm that. But as you can imagine, this hasn't happened since Julian. That dude's been dead for a long time. Mm-hmm. Also, what did you think of the doll that they used for this? Ritual? Oh, I was about to say, so this is the other thing. You're asking Rowan to deal with a lot of weird stuff. This is a pretty <laughs> weird 
creepy, awful thing. And it's like part of the summoning thing is that she uses this incredibly weird little, I guess, voodoo doll. I don't know, some kind of represent. It has like a piece, physical piece of each one of her ancestors. How that continued on is kind of creepy, but it's like Dolly is giving her sort of the rundown of the pieces of this, which is incredibly disturbing. It's yeah. like. Well, that thigh bone that makes the head or hip bone is Deborah's. And this, you know, <laughs> then she has to add in her mother's hair. And it's like, you know, you're asking Rowan to really stomach a lot of weirdness here. Um, and then not only that, when they're in the little circle, each of them has to kiss the doll in a strange way. Mm-hmm. I did notice that the actor who plays Tessa air kissed the doll. She was not into it. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, this is this is a lot of weirdness that that Rowan is expected to sort of like be OK with. Um, so yeah, that doll thing was creepy, but Tessa now considers herself the designee and the rest of her family does too. And they're all trying to party and she goes up to Deirdre's room and is like, Lasher, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't appear. And she like starts to DM Keith, the morgue guy to be like hey let's that sounds so cool that you've got a heart let's meet up because she wants to immediately go into vigilante mode with zero evidence that she's got power she doesn't know that she actually has him and then this is like i mean they're doing it obviously deliberately showing these parallels so suzanne is somebody who is actually linked to latcher he definitely steps up and takes care of her rescues her he is absolutely you know in like showing of power here in a case where her life is in danger and by contrast, Tessa goes, and I have to say, showing up to meet some this guy alone is probably a bad move. And it seems weird to me that she wouldn't have um, involved the other Mayfair witches to help and at least have her back um, going all alone. But maybe she thinks she really does have the power of Lasher. Um, but at least as far as we see in this episode, she does not because he does not appear to rescue her. She gets kind of uh, surrounded by these weird witch hunters or new witch hunters and um it it does not look good for her <laughs> and cyprian's caught in the sort of you know the the past or then in this memory and rowan we don't yet know what the repercussions of all this are so um i'm i did not go ahead so i am looking forward to to watching the last couple episodes of this um but i don't know what what were your thoughts anything towards the end of this episode that seemed I liked seeing Tessa use her glamour I was a little bit disappointed yeah. that it wore off so fast I also but... didn't necessarily love how it manifested it's just like kind of blurry Com- and echoey she's just complimenting him and he gets into a like a real tight focus yeah mm-hmm. so but yeah but then like as soon as the flashlights show up I guess it's because she breaks concentration and so he's just like it's her it's Tessa Bayfair and Arlo He's like, look who joined the part. It's so what's weird also is that he's always in a suit and everybody he hangs out with are these like backwood bubbas. <laughs> like there's just a like a real step there. Uh, but yeah, OK, so that's that's the movement. It's him in a suit and everybody else, and a couple of church folk. But this definitely feels like uh, it's going to be bad for Tessa. Yep. It's a good um, episode. I, I enjoyed this one. Um, I did too, and I'm curious to see because there's so actually th- I think there's not that many episodes left. So I think you're right. Uh, there's seven, eight, and that's it. Yeah. So two more. just two more. So we're gonna wrap this up next time.
And then we can move on to Silo, which I have completely been watching because have you been terrible? Absolutely. That's it's such a good show. Bad. I'm enjoying it. And uh so yeah, that that is a good show too. <laughs> I have not given in. I've been well, very good. But anyway. Good for you. Um, I will try not to com- combine the the episodes in my head. But you know, they're coming out once a week, so there there's there's a ways to go still. Oh well. Then, then I will hold off. I'm going to hold off. Um, but anyway, uh, if you enjoyed these episodes, uh, let us know. And we'd love to hear from you. Reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to let you say the other thing, Stuart, because I'm bad at it. We're on Twitter at reanimatedpcast. And you can find all of our episodes on Podbean at reanimated.podbean.com. Uh, so... Looking forward to wrapping this up next time. And until then, ciao. Okay. Uh, Bye for now. Don't know why I did that in the Southern. Thank you for listening (laughs) and goodbye. Maybe that was your New Orleans accent. I don't, I don't know what they sound like down there.